Today's reading is taken from Ruth, um, chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabites said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favours in your eyes, that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about you, what you have done for your mother-in-law, since the death of your husband. How you have left your father and mother and homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull up some stalks for her from the bundles and leaves them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed, uh, threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one, at, uh, the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. The man is our close relative. He is, the one, of, he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Malkbiter said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, 
It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with her girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to her servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you, where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight, he will be, at, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself, and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz has finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly and covered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garments over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you have showed earlier. You have not run after the younger man, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you asked. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do. Lie here until morning. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here this evening around your word. We are so grateful that in a world that tells us so many things, so many lies about reality, we have your word to correct us, to change us, to rebuke us. We pray tonight that you will show us Christ from your word, that our hearts would be inflamed, that we would love him and worship him. Amen. Let me tell you a story. Uh, This is a true story. It's about a girl called Amber, who is a friend of Megan's brother. Amber used to be a waitress over at Hard Rock Cafe, just around the corner here. And one day, a man came in, asked, uh, asked for a table. She showed him to the table, took his order. All very normal. Uh, you know, cleared the plates away when he'd finished. Nothing unremarkable. Until he came to pay for his meal. She handed him the little, you know, the little machine. Please enter the amount of gratuity, all that kind of stuff. He handed it back to her. I'm sorry, sir. I think there must be a mistake. It says here you're giving me a thousand pound tip. Yeah, I am. True story. Wow. Now, I mean, a thousand pounds, okay, isn't going to change your life. But that is a pretty good day's waitressing, isn't it? I think she'd be kind of skipping off down the street when she, when she finished her shift. Asking, you know, wow, what did I do to deserve that? Why me? Why was it me who got to uh, wait on that guy to take his order? Why me? Why me? Now, why me 
is a question that most of us most of us ask when things are going badly, isn't it? Normally, you know, sometimes it'd be you know slightly petulantly, "Oh, why me? Why is it always me who misses the tube?" or something like that. Or you know, more seriously, you know, why? You guys do that, right? It's not just me. Okay. Well, you know, or why me? More seriously, why me? Why has my life not turned out? Or it doesn't seem to be turning out the way I want it to. It's natural to ask why me when things are going badly. It's far less natural to ask why me when things are going well. I think all of us, I think probably deep down, have a sort of a sense of entitlement. It's unusual to ask why me for the good things. When, when was, you think about being, you know, if you're Christian here tonight, when was the last time that you actually stopped in wonder and said to God, why me? Why would you choose to bless me? Well, that's uh, the position Ruth finds herself in. She does ask that question. Have a look, chapter 2, verse 10. If you've closed your Bibles, open them up again. Ruth, chapter 2. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why? Why me? Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Why me? Now, if we are Christians here tonight, I imagine we all want uh, a walk with the Lord that's joyful and thankful. Well, I put it to you, perhaps if we asked, why me? In the positive sense like that, more often that we would be more thankful for our faith. Why me? But some of you here tonight might be asking a slightly different question. Some of you might be asking, could it be for me? You know, welcome. If you're, if you're here tonight, if you came to one of the um, guest event dinners we put on last week or Handel's Messiah the week before and this, you're here for the first time, welcome. Perhaps you've heard Christians talking about the, the wonder of being a Christian, the great joy of being a Christian, the great blessing of being a Christian. And perhaps you ask, well, could that be for for me? Given what I know I'm like deep down, given what I know I've done in the past, could it be for me? So why me? Could it be for me? A third question that we'll look at tonight, is it just for me? Or to put it another way, is Christianity just for people like me? Like, we all know the answer. No, obviously it's not. We've all been studying Acts in our KG groups. We all know Christianity is not just for people like us. But isn't it true? Sometimes, if you looked at our lives, they'd seem to suggest that we do think it's just for people like us because we find it very difficult to talk to people who are not like us about Jesus. So why me? Could it be me? Is it just for me? Three questions that this part of Ruth is going to speak to this evening. Okay, just a little recap for those of you who weren't here last week. You remember, um, well, obviously not because you weren't here, so you don't remember. Let me tell you, Ruth and Naomi. Naomi was uh, an Israelite woman. And under her disobedient husband, Elimelech, they moved out of the promised land into a place called Moab where sadly her, uh, her husband died, but then her two boys married women from Moab, but then her two boys died. One of their, 
wives left and went back to Moab. But Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, came with Naomi back to Bethlehem, back to the, back to the promised lands. But Naomi came back really bitter. She thought she went away happy, but she came back bitter. But if you were here last week, you remember that she came back just as the barley harvest was beginning. And we said that that was just a little indication of God's kindness towards her. And we said we're going to see much more of God's kindness towards Naomi and towards her daughter-in-law, Ruth, this week. And that is where we pick up the story. This week, we're going to see more of God's character. We're going to see not just that he's a kind God, but that he is a God whose love is broad and deep. Broad to the outsider and deep to his people. We said last week that the, the sort of overall title for this series, if you like, is Under God's Wings. There are some wings you don't want to be under, like an airplane's wings. That's a bad place to be. But under the wings of God, that is a very, very good place to be. And we're going to see more of what it means to be under God's wings today. So, um, first point is this. Boaz shows lavish grace towards the foreigner. If you're taking notes, that's chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. Boaz shows lavish grace towards the foreigner. And that grace is right there in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now this is a narrator's comment, okay? The person who wrote this, he's speaking directly to us at this point. Verse 1, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And we think, ooh, that's promising. He's a man of standing. He's quite, he's quite wealthy. He's a relative. Perhaps he's going to be the guy who provides for Ruth and Naomi. If he's a good guy, perhaps things are going to go well for them. And we're going to see exactly what kind of guy he is as this chapter develops. Back in events in real time, verse 2, Ruth the Moabites said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Look how she's referred to there, Ruth the Moabites. We know that in the story by now. The author doesn't need to say that, but he's making the point. She's a Moabites. And that the stigma, that label, it doesn't just peel off easily, like the labels we're all men aware when we're here. It doesn't just peel off easily. That stigma follows you around. You're an outsider. You're a foreigner. And she recognises that someone in that position needs to find favour. If she doesn't find favour in someone's eyes, verse 2, well, presumably she and her mother-in-law are not going to eat. And so verse 3, she says, uh, it says, So Ruth went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. And gleaning just basically means picking up the leftover ears of corn or barley or whatever behind the harvesters. But... Something good is happening. Because look halfway through verse 3. As it turned out, it just so happened that she finds herself in the field of none other than Boaz. At this point, she doesn't know anything about Boaz. She doesn't even know he exists. Just so happened, she finds herself in that field. And then, more coincidence, verse 4. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. Just, Just then. And greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they call back to him. That seems like a good guy, a benevolent, godly guy. 
I don't imagine most of you will greet your boss like that tomorrow morning when you're in the office or the lecture theatre, will you? He's a godly guy and he seems to notice that there's a new woman in his field, a new lady there, because he says, verse 5, Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? And he explains, verse 7, what she'd said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. Uh, the foreman says, she went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Now, actually, if you read that in the Hebrew, he seems to be kind of, this foreman seems to be stuttering a little bit, a little bit nervous. His language is very broken. It's a bit like, uh, she went into the field, worked steadily this morning, short house, break. Uh, and, and you wonder, is, is he a bit nervous? Does he wonder whether he's done the right thing, letting this foreign woman Come and glean in his master Boaz's fields. Absolutely. Because look how emphatic Boaz is in verse 8. Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Ruth went out looking for favour, looking for grace. And she seems to have found it in Boaz's field. Now, actually, what Boaz is doing is what he should have been doing, according to the Old Testament laws. Uh, Keep a finger in Ruth, and then turn back, please, to page 126 in your Bibles. Page 126, Leviticus 23, verse 22. And it says this, this is the gleaning law. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them. For the poor and the alien, I am the Lord your God. See, that's the law that God's people were meant to live by. Leave a little strip around the edges of your field so people who are poor or people who are not from Israel can come and glean, gather up the bits after the harvest. It's a wonderful law. It's a kind law. It's a law that expresses God's character. It's a law that expresses the breadth of God's grace and concern for the foreigner. And by following it, Boaz is himself expressing God's character, expressing the breadth of God's concern or his grace for the outsider. Okay, back in Ruth. And Boaz doesn't just follow that law in a kind of a a miserly way. Look, he just lavishes grace upon Ruth. Halfway, uh, verse 9. Watch the field where my men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. So he's, he's offered protection for Ruth. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. So you have protection, provision, refreshment. Lavish, lavish grace. And verse 10, in I think beautiful humility... Look what Ruth says. At this, Ruth bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why? Why Why me? Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? That's asking why me in in the right way. And Boaz replies, I've I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. He's heard about her kindness to Naomi. He's heard about the way she has 
left her, her family in Moab, and clung to God's people. It's a great thing. And then he prays this beautiful sort of prayer of blessing on her. Verse 12. It says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. There's that beautiful image from which we're getting the overall title of this series. He's saying, look, you've come under the wings of the God of Israel for refuge. And I pray that he will bless you. I pray that he will reward you for doing that. But I think it is really important to sort of be clear about this because you could read that, couldn't you? And and it could sound as if Ruth is just getting her just desserts. She's just getting what she earned for doing a good thing. That God sort of rewards in her just, uh, you know, you earn whatever you get from him. I think that would be a mistake. Because look, Ruth has already experienced a lavishness to to the grace, a lavishness to the to the favour that she's received from Boaz. And it, we're going to see in a minute that, that the lavishness is only going to increase and increase and increase. And by the end of the book, she is going to be blessed beyond her imaginings. And so when Boaz is talking about, you know, may the God under whose wings you come to ref, take refuge reward you, I don't think he's just saying, would you only get what you deserve? I think he is saying, you have come to take refuge under a God who delights to lavish grace upon people. You've come to a God who delights to give people far more than they deserve. You've come to a God who makes people go, oh, why, why me? Why have you blessed me? That is the kind of God that Ruth has come to. And verse 13, all she can do is say, may I continue to find favour, grace in your eyes, my Lord. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant. But the grace just continues because look what Boaz does in verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. And what a thing for this, you know, this landed man to invite this woman who's only just met and sit at sit at table with him. Amazing. And then verse 14 carries on. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. She is a, she is a woman who's come back with a poor widow. When was the last time do you think that she ate all she wanted? You know, I, I, Megan cooked me lunch today. It was lovely. I left stuff on my plate. I imagine most of you leave stuff on your plate all the time. You don't if you're at the bottom of the heap and you are poor. But that is the lavishness of Boaz's provision. And there's more. Verse 15. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Look at this. Rather pull out some of the stalks from the bundles and, you know, sort of just subtly drop them on the floor. Leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Amazing, amazing, lavish grace towards her. Verse 17, so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and she threshed the barley she gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. Ephah is about 22 litres. And Coke cans, that's 66 Coke cans, which I'm no barley harvester, obviously, but that seems to me like quite good for a day's gleaning. What a day 
but it's not over yet. On to point two now. So Boaz has shown Ruth lavish grace. Second point, or second scene really, Naomi recognises that it is the Lord's kindness at work. And that's chapter 2, verses 18 to 23. Naomi recognises that it is the Lord's kindness at work. Verses 18 to 23. She carries all those 22 litres of barley back and even some of the food that was left over at lunchtime. And she shows it to Naomi. And verse 19, Naomi's like, flipping heck! Where did you get that from? That's amazing! And verse 19, she, uh, Naomi carries on. Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Bless me, the man who took notice of you. And don't forget, at this point, Naomi has no idea where Ruth has been. She doesn't know she's been in Boaz's field. And at this point, Ruth has got no idea who Boaz is, that he's a relative of Naomi. But then the two sort of plot lines that we know come together. The end of verse 19. Uh, yeah, then Ruth innocently told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the, ma- the name of the man I've been working with today is Boaz. And you just imagine, like, the look of joy, incredulity on Naomi's face. And she says, the Lord, verse 20, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. The Lord bless him. And in the Hebrew, that bit where it says uh, he has not stopped showing his kindness is deliberately ambiguous. Who is it? Is it the Lord who's not stopped showing his kindness? Or is it Boaz? Is it the Lord? Is it Boaz? Boaz or the Lord? Well, it's both. That's the point. Because Boaz is, is an expression or he embodies the Lord's kindness. He's not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi says, end of verse 20, she added, that man is our close relative. That's good, we knew that already from verse 1. That man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. Awesome, that's brilliant. I say, what's a kinsman redeemer? Any ideas? Back again we go into the Old Testament. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 6. 25, 5 to 6. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So you see what that's saying? If you, if you have a brother and he dies... Your duty to his name, to his family line, is to marry his, his widowed wife and, and give her a son so that his name will not be blotted out of Israel, so that the inheritance of that family will stay in that family. Very important. And when I say inheritance, I'm not talking about like you know family stamp collection or something like that. The inheritance in the Old Testament is the land. Very, the land that God promised to give his people said that way back in Genesis. And then the people under Joshua enter the land and every tribe, every clan, every family is allotted a piece of land. And this kind of law is given by God in his kindness so that no family will lose that inheritance that God has guaranteed them. 
So again, you know, this, this, is, this is an outworking of God's character. If the gleaning laws showed the breadth of God's welcome to the poor and the outsider, this kinsman redeemer type law shows the depth of God's commitment to his people. It shows the faithfulness of God to his people. He doesn't want them to lose their inheritance. He is committed to his people. So we see in Boaz's actions both the, the depth of God's, uh, but the breadth of God's love and the depth and the faithfulness of God's love. And again, as Boaz is doing this, he's, he's demonstrating God's character. Because you see, if Boaz comes good on this kinsman redeemer duty that is upon him, then he will be being kind both to the living and to the dead. He'll be being kind to Naomi and Ruth because he'll marry Ruth and he'll provide for, for her and for Naomi. And he'll be being kind to the dead. Because Ruth's former husband, his name will be perpetuated and his inheritance will stay in the family. So, big stakes. Things are, things are looking up. That is why Naomi is overjoyed. Verse 20. And verse 23. Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. All harvest time long, Ruth was able to go into the fields and gather and gather precious, precious food for her and Naomi. All harvest long. Meanwhile, Naomi's brain, the mother-in-law's brain, is whirring in overtime, coming up with a plan how to get Ruth and Boaz together. And what a plan it is. That's our third point. Uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Ruth boldly seeks provision under her kinsman's wings. Ruth boldly seeks provision under her kinsman's wings. See, one day, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, one day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find you a home where you'll be well provided for? You know, it's the equivalent of, Isn't it about time I found you a husband? And before Ruth's got any say in the matter, Naomi's, Naomi is unfurling her plan. She says, verse 2, Is not Boaz with whose servant girls you've been a, kins, been a kinsman of ours? I, that Boaz is a nice man. Have you, have, you, have you thought of him? And Naomi's been doing her Facebook stalking as well because she knows exactly where Boaz is going to be. Uh, oh, wrong page. Tonight, verse 2, Tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Naomi's got a plan. She says, wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Pull out that little black number, splash on some Yves Saint Laurent, do your hair and get down there. She says, end of verse 3, go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. Naomi knows bloke. She knows that most men are in a pretty good mood after they've had a nice meal and a, and a glass of wine. And she says, when that's happened, note the place where he is lying, verse 4, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. That's a bit weird, isn't it? That it I mean, we'll just get that out there, it's fine, it's weird, it's not what we do. Commentators are you know, not, not quite sure about you know, exactly the cultural significance, but I'll say a little bit more about it later. Let's just be honest, it's a bit weird. And Ruth says, okay, yeah, I'll do, I'll do all of that. And verse 7, she enacts, she starts to enact the plan. 
When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over, she went over, he, sorry, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. In Hebrew, it's even more hilarious. In Hebrew, it's literally, behold, a woman lying at his feet. I mean, poor guy, you know, he's just there trying to get asleep. There's a woman there. Bizarre. Shocked. Oh, sorry, just to say, I mean, that, that shows, what, I mean, some people think that that whole idea of uh, when Naomi says, you know, go and uncover his feet and lie at his feet is a sort of a euphemism for have sex with him. Well, it clearly isn't because she literally is just lying at his feet. Okay, so if you ever if you ever read about that, people saying that Naomi or Ruth being immoral, they're not. We don't quite understand it, but she literally is just lying at his feet. They haven't had sex. Okay, and then Boaz, verse 9, who are you? He asked. And look at this staggering request. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Very, very bold request. Essentially, Boaz, will you marry me? Will you marry me? Will you, will you spread the corner of your garment over me? Will you provide for me? Will you protect me? Will you provide for me and by implication, Naomi? My mother-in-law. It's a bold request, but a sensible request given what she's already seen of Boaz. She seeks provision under her kinsman's wings. But actually, there's a little bit more to it even than that, because what is translated here as the corner of your garment, literally, is the same word as is used in verse 12. Where Boaz says, you have come under the wings to take refuge of the God of Israel. What Ruth literally says is, Boaz, spread your wings over me. Boaz, please continue to embody the character and the concerns of God towards me. Spread your wings out over me. She's saying, Boaz, please continue to to demonstrate the breadth of God's love towards the foreigner. Boaz, please continue to demonstrate the depth of God's faithfulness towards his people. Again, a bold request, but again, a very sensible and rational request, given what she knows of the God of Israel, under whose wings she has come to take refuge. Boaz is pretty chuffed with this proposition. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that that you showed me earlier. You have not run after the younger women, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you're a woman of noble character. And you think at that point, you know, the credit's going to roll. We're just going to cut to a montage of the wedding. All going to be good. Chick flicks over. Brilliant. Except, verse 12, there's a problem. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. You think, disaster, there's another man on the scene. That wasn't part of the plot. And you wonder, is, is this kind of Boaz trying to let Ruth down gently? Ruth, it's not you, it's me kind of thing. No, he's pretty, he says, verse 13, stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good. 
let this other guy redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. And there we leave it for this week. You'll have to come back next week if you want to know how the story finishes. But before we finish, I just want to pause and dwell again on how Boaz's actions teach us about the character of God. See, by following that gleaning law, as we saw, Boaz kind of embodies the, the breadth of God's grace and welcome to the outsider. By following the kinsman-redeemer idea, by being willing to provide for Ruth and Naomi, Boaz embodies the depth and the commitment and the faithfulness of God towards his people. Boaz teaches us about the depth and the breadth of God's love. But of course, and we'll see much more about this next week, Boaz himself, as a redeemer, points forward to the one who is the redeemer, to Jesus Christ. Boaz embodies something of God's character. Jesus embodies for all time God's character to demonstrate to us beyond doubt what God is like. Boaz spreads out his wings metaphorically over Ruth and Naomi. Jesus spread out his wings on the cross. Jesus let sinful people drive nails through those wings that any who would put their trust in him could come and take refuge under the cross. Boaz is a foretaste of the depth and the breadth of Christ's love for us. See, Boaz spreads his wings over over Ruth to to welcome her. And that's wonderful. There's a sense in which Ruth is the obvious candidate for that. She's a good, she's a faithful woman. She's a nice woman. She's an obvious candidate. Jesus spread out his wings for us when we were not obvious candidates. Jesus spread out his wings for us when we were far from him. Jesus spread out his wings for us when we were his enemies. When you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Boaz spreads spreads his wings around Ruth and Naomi to provide for them. But there's this other guy. We don't know what's going to happen. Is is Boaz going to be able is he going to be able to provide for Ruth, for Naomi to keep them safe? Jesus spreads out his wings on the cross and says, If you come to me, no one can snatch you out of my hands. If you come to me, there is nothing in all creation that can separate me from you and you from me. Boaz is a foretaste of the depth and the breadth of the love Christ shows for us. And that brings us back to those three questions we started with. Why me? Could it be for me? Is it just for me? take them in reverse order. Is it just for me? Is Christianity just for people like me, who look like me, who talk like me? No, absolutely not. And the book of Ruth reminds us of that. It reminds us of the breadth of God's grace and welcome to the outsider. It reminds us just how wide Jesus' wingspan is. And you look, we know it's hard, we know we should do it, but a chapter like this challenges us again. 
speak to people about Jesus who are not like us because Christ's wingspan is wide. And we remember that beautiful vision at the end of time where we see around the throne people, a multitude of people from every tribe and language and nation praising Jesus. Is it just for me? No. Christ's wingspan is wide. Could it be for me? If you wonder whether God could accept you, again, I hope you see in this in this chapter a wonderful, wonderful encouragement to come to Jesus. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter whether you wonder whether whether Jesus will accept you. I mean, think of the terror, think of the the doubts that were going through Ruth's mind as she she crept in this bizarre plan to lie at the foot of this of this man who should take no interest in her. What's he going to say? Is he going to accept me? And maybe some of you find yourself having those sort of thoughts about Jesus. If I come to his feet, if I come to the foot of the cross, is he going to accept me? Yes, absolutely. King David writes, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Is it just for me? No. Could it be for me? Yes. Finally, why me? Why me? When when was the last time you, you just stopped and said, Wow, Jesus, why me? See, we were we were spiritual aliens, we were spiritual foreigners, we were far from God, we weren't the natural candidates for Jesus to die for. Far from it. Jesus says you know, before we were Christians, we were alienated from him, far from him. But yet, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. The depth of his, the breadth of his love was wide enough for people like you and me. The steadfastness of his love now is deep enough to keep us day by day by day to heaven. Never will I leave you or forsake you. Love that is broad love that is deep and so maybe that would be a good thing for us to do for you guys to do when you get home tonight to take that chapter 2 verse 10 and do it I mean you could do it literally couldn't you we should bow down with our face to the ground and exclaim oh lord why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me a spiritual foreigner. Let's pray. Oh Father, why us? We're so sorry that most of our lives are taken up by asking why me in the sense of counting all the things that we're not happy with rather than saying why me in terms of being awestruck and humbled by the fact that you would show wide and deep grace and love for us. We thank you for that. We ask that you will help us to be humble people, awestruck people, like Ruth, when faced with Boaz. And Father, I pray if there's any tonight who are wondering whether there is room under your wings for them, please draw them, despite their fears or doubts, to you that we all together may take refuge under your wings. Amen.